Our scripture today is from Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. We've got two episodes here in the life of Jesus. Both uh, are grouped here. Obviously, Luke's communicating something to us uh, about the Sabbath, the day of rest, and the controversy that Jesus encountered in his ministry. Luke 6, 1 through 11. God's Word says, On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with a withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. May God bless the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word to us this morning. Well, in Greek mythology, Sisyphus was a character, and for a crime against the gods, he was condemned to an eternity of hard labor. And that labor consisted of a very frustrating labor, of uh, rolling a great boulder to the top of a hill only to find that the boulder rolled back down over and over and over and over again for eternity. Another character was Tantalus. And after he died, he was made, uh, out of punishment for his wicked ways, he was made to stand in a pool of water right under the branches of a fruit tree. And whenever he tried to reach for that fruit, the branch would be just out of his reach. And any time he tried to drink a sip of the water, the waters of the pool would reside. So he could not be satisfied, completely frustrated. Well, I'm not here to talk about Greek mythology, uh, but the Greeks captured something of the frustrations of the human condition there. The frustrations, the troubles, the difficulties of life and how it would be horrible to be faced with an eternity to live inside that frustration. Well, just think of our lives. Just think of the daily pressure you face to perform at your work. Think of the anxieties caused by bills and debts and other problems of life. Think of the 
the grief of the losses that you have experienced in your life. Think of the hurt of injustices inflicted upon you by others. And think of the physical problems and limitations that remind you that life is tenuous and short and getting shorter all the time. As soon as we're born, as soon as we're born, we're stepping closer and closer moment by moment to that day of death. Some face in that life a daily struggle with relentless pain. Think of the weight of it all, the burden, the anxiety and worry, anger, regret, grief and pain of life. There's trouble everywhere. I don't mean to depress everybody. I'm making a point here. Now I want you to think of something better. Think of the words rest, peace, security. Imagine a life where, where all you knew were these things. Or all you knew was rest, peace, and security. Isn't it relaxing? Well, no human being has known true rest, peace, and security since Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden before their fall into sin. And with that sin came wearisome toil, came all the brokenness of life that comes as a result of sin, With it came alienation from God as they were uh, uh, ushered out of the garden and forbidden to return back to that close fellowship they enjoyed there. And this bondage to decay and death that has been handed down to us, all of that has been handed down to us as humans. Even before, though, even before humanity fell into that sin and, and life became miserable, God had provided for rest. One day in seven for rest. You remember from Genesis, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything that is. And on the sixth day, he created man. And on the seventh day, he rested. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So rest was important to the Lord, even though Adam had had a great existence there in the garden still, He was allowed to have that one day of rest. And it is interesting, uh, one of the commentaries I read pointed out the fact that that man was created for the weekend, on the weekend, for the weekend. Uh, He was created on the sixth day, the last day. And you imagine that. Adam and Eve were placed on this earth, created on that sixth day, and what did they do the next day? They just chilled out with the Lord. They had a, a wonderful day of rest from all labor. When I was a teenager in the 80s, there was a popular song called Everybody's Working for the Weekend by Loverboy. Now, I'm sure that they did not have in mind virtuous activities for their weekend. But they did capture a sentiment to which all of us can relate. Everybody looks forward to the weekend. Time when we're free from the grind of the week and we can relax a bit. We have this built-in desire for rest because we were created for that. That's what God created man. He created man for a purpose, 
but not to have all these troubles and anxieties that weigh us down. He, he wants us to know true, lasting rest. And when God gave the law to Moses, when he, when he gave Moses the two tablets on, on Mount Sinai, he repeated that Sabbath pattern in the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God gave this law which was a blessing to the people. It wasn't a burden to the people. It was a blessing. It granted them a day of rest where they had permission to knock off from work and to relax, cease from activity. But not just to cease from activity, but as it states, a Sabbath to the Lord your God. The Sabbath is a holy day, a day devoted to the Lord when we can glorify God and enjoy Him without distraction. To recapture that close fellowship that Adam and Eve had with God in the garden as the Lord apparently walked with them in the garden in the cool of the day, as it says there in Genesis. To know the Lord that intimately. The Sabbath day points us to that rest that we will recapture one day. It reminds us of what Adam and Eve lost in the garden. But God gives us that blessing. He, he commands us to take one day in seven to rest from our labors and to worship him. Well, that brings us to these two episodes in the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, last week we saw that Jesus' religious practice did not look at all like the practice of the Pharisees or John the Baptist disciples who would have been considered the most serious religious people of the day. Jesus and his disciples did not fast twice a week like those others, like the Pharisees and John's disciples. On the contrary, Jesus and the disciples were well known for feasting. And not only just for feasting, but feasting with people who were considered heathens and sinners and religious and social outcasts, because that's who Jesus came to save. Well, in this passage, again, we see the religious practice of Jesus coming into conflict and being contrasted with that of the religious leaders of the day. First, they, they took the grain. Uh, they, the law of God gave permission to people as long as you didn't pull out a sickle uh, in order to cut grain, you could walk through someone's field, especially on the edges of it, and you could pick a few heads of grain for your own enjoyment. And they rubbed it to separate the chaff out of the wheat, and they ate. And the Pharisees did not like that because that violated, according to their interpretation of the law, uh, several, several, uh, made several violations. They were harvesting, threshing, winnowing, separating, all, they, they, there's about three or four different actions which I'll describe for you in a moment of why they said what they said about Jesus doing what was wrong on the Sabbath day according to their rules. So, well, let me just take you to that. Last week I mentioned the Talmud. The first part of the Talmud is the Mishnah. And that is all the Jewish oral tradition from the Pharisees on uh, that, that helped people, Jewish people, understand 
how they were to carry out the 613 commandments written in the first five books of the Bible. So you have there uh, very specific instructions on various areas of life, various commandments from the Old Testament, and there is one tractate in the Mishnah which deals with the Sabbath. There are four different areas that it covers. The order of bread, which is all about reaping and sowing, etc. The order of garments, which is about making clothes. The order of hides, which is about tanning hides. And the order of construction, which is about construction. And I mean, it, and it branches out. Let me just give you a few. Well, here's all the rules. Not, I'm going to not list all the rules, but here's all the categories of rules. There are rules about planting, plowing, reaping, gathering, threshing, winnowing, sorting, dissection, sifting, kneading, cooking, shearing, scouring, laundering, cording and combing wool, dyeing, spinning, warping, making loops, weaving, separating two threads, tying, untying, sewing, tearing, trapping, killing, flaying, skinning, curing, Smoothing, scoring, and measured cutting. Writing, erasing, construction, demolition, extinguishing a fire, ignition, fine-tuning, and transferring between domains. 39 different categories where, where there are detailed dis, dis, uh, discussions by rabbis about what is permissible and impermissible on the Sabbath in each of these various categories. For example, plowing. Included in this pro prohibition is any preparation or improvement of land for agricultural use. Of course, plowing. We know what plowing is. But it also includes dragging chair legs in soft soil. If you drug, uh, in, even intentionally, because you made a furrow, and a seed could accidentally land there and sprout. You could not pour water on arable land that is not saturated because it would make it more suitable for growth. You could not make a hole in the soil because seed might get there from the rain or runoff, even if you don't intend to put a seed there. Anything that would make a hole in the ground, you were forbidden. Or if you accidentally made a hole in the ground, you broke the Sabbath. In the category of winnowing, here's an example that's there. If one has a handful of peanuts in their paper-thin brown skins and one blows on the mixture of peanut and skins, dispersing the unwanted skins from the peanuts, this would be an act of winnowing, according to the Talmud. And you would be in violation of the Sabbath. And of course, that's one of the things that Jesus was doing, rubbing, getting rid of what's bad. Reaping, in the category of reaping, removing all or part of a plant from its source of growth is reaping. So climbing a tree was forbidden because you might break a branch off. You could not ride an animal on the Sabbath for fear that you would forget, unthinkingly grab a stick off a branch to hit the animal with. And in the, here's an example for sorting and purification, and that's what they were doing as well. They were sorting out the good part of the grain from the bad part. And here's an example. If you have a bowl of mixed peanuts and raisins, and one desires the raisins and dislikes the peanuts, removing the peanuts from the bowl 
leaving a purified pile of raisins free from unwanted peanuts would be a violation of the Sabbath. But if you only took the raisins out and left the peanuts, it would not be a violation because you haven't purified anything. See how detailed they got? And so Jesus has broken several of these commandments here just by rubbing a piece of grain in his hands. And, and I believe the disciples knew this. They would have been taught this. Uh, it was common practice, and that's what the Pharisees are pointing out, that you have done several things that are wrong on the Sabbath day. And Jesus enters this discussion. He says, you know, look at David. Look at, look at King David and, and what he did. When he was on the run from Saul, uh, he didn't have time to pack anything. He stopped in at the tabernacle and asked the priest if there was anything there that they could take for provisions, he and his men. And the priest gave him the bread of the presence, which was there before the Lord. They always had loaves of bread there in the tabernacle before the Lord, and it was only for the priests. And the priest gave them to David, and he gave that to his men for their provision. And that was not allowed. The point that Jesus is making here is that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, as he says. He is one greater than David. He is David's greater son, and he's the one we should listen to on how to keep the Sabbath day. We should look to him to keep the Sabbath, and that's what the point of that is, and we'll explore that more in a moment. In the second episode, Jesus has a man there with a withered hand, and according to the Mishnah again, you could not heal anyone or practice medicine with anyone on the Sabbath unless their life was in danger. In fact, if your field was on fire and no life was in danger, you were not allowed to put it out. If a life was in danger, then you could put it out. But here's a man with a withered hand. No, you know, he's probably got some sort of atrophy or disease in it. And Jesus brings him along and he heals the man on the Sabbath. He does what is good on the Sabbath. He makes this man whole on the Sabbath. He heals and brings uh, fullness and completeness to this man. And again, Jesus shows us the way. Well, as we think about these things and the Sabbath, we need to, there's two things I want to highlight here this morning very quickly that Jesus does show us the way. Now, we have the opposite problem of the Pharisees. Nobody could say to the Pharisees, you're not taking the Sabbath very seriously. Because those dudes took it very seriously in minute detail. But they kind of lost the joy of it all. There was no rest in that. In fact, one of the articles that I read about the, the Talmud and the Mishnah and their directions on the Sabbath, if you... If you uh, held to all those laws that they had, all those rules about keeping the Sabbath, you would never be able to keep the Sabbath. It is not possible for you to be able to follow every intricate detail of, of, of keeping from doing what is forbidden on the Sabbath. It was that detailed that it was impossible to keep the Sabbath. No one could keep the Sabbath. It became a burden to keep the Sabbath. You would always be worried about what you're doing. Oh no, I stepped on a, on a ground and made a hole and now I've plowed. I mean, it's ridiculous. 
how much of a burden these man-made laws placed on people. And Jesus shows us the way. Follow him. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the true Messiah that shows us the way. And I believe the disciples are a great example to us. What should we do? See, we don't have the problem of the Pharisees. We have the opposite problem that we don't really care about the Sabbath. We do whatever we want and, you know, you all are here at church at least. That's great. But we've got this day of rest, a complete day of rest. What should we do? We should follow Jesus. We should pursue him on that day. That's what the disciples were doing. That's why they were in this grain field, because they were following Jesus. And I'm sure they picked those heads of grain because Jesus had done it himself and showed them that way. I just want to say this. As you think about this day of rest that we've given, not only do we rest from our activities, but we, it's an opportunity for us to enjoy the Lord, to enjoy him and to pursue our relationship with him. It's not about all the things that we're not supposed to be engaged in or, or do or don't do, but to have a relationship with him. It's the same we saw last week with the fasting and the questions of Jesus's, uh, Jesus's religious practice and, and those rituals that they held to. It's all about him. It should be centered on the bridegroom. It should be centered on the Messiah. It should be centered on Jesus. That's what this day is all about, a day to connect with Jesus. So Jesus shows us the way. And, and also importantly, second of all, Jesus brings rest. That's what he did for that man. You know, he, he had trouble in his life. Maybe the Pharisees looked at it and they didn't think it was that important of a problem to have one withered hand, but Jesus brought fullness, completeness, rest into that man's life. And that's what Jesus does for us. And that's what we ought to be celebrating on Sundays as we gather from week to week. To come together as Jesus' people, to worship him, to enjoy him, to cease from the cares of life, to put all that into perspective, and to enjoy the rest that Christ brings to people. And that brings me to this question as I conclude. Do you enjoy that rest? Do you know the peace that passes all understanding that you have when you are in relationship with Jesus, when you have, when you have given your life to him, when you have turned from your own ways and said, Lord, I'm yours, I want to follow you, I want to know you. I want to... And he invites us into that relationship with him. The writer of Hebrews talks about Jesus being the one who provides us rest and peace and security and comfort in our troubled lives. He says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as it did to them, the people wandering the desert, but rebelled against God and did not believe. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who believe enter that rest. Those who put their trust in Christ enter a rest, a peace, a comfort. It doesn't mean that you'll be automatically delivered from all your troubles, but through the midst of it you know that God has a plan, God is working, and everything that happens is for your good and for his glory. There's a peace and a comfort and a security 
that comes with knowing you're in right relationship to God. And when we gather together on Sunday as God's people and we take uh, the step away from our labors and we focus in on Him, again, we are renewed in that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can be reminded of all that wonderful peace and security that we have in the Lord. I want everybody to to have that, to know that, to experience that in their lives. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that wonderful? Maybe you have all kinds of trouble in your life. Jesus will give you rest and peace and security. He will not lay burdens on you. He goes on to say, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your soul. Isn't there nothing much more sweeter than hearing that, to have rest for your soul? May the Lord grant us all that rest. If you want to know that rest today, Jesus said it best. Come to him. Come to him. Turn to him. Turn from your sin. Turn to him in faith and put your trust, put your life in his hands. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the encouragement this is to us, Lord. We pray that we would all know that rest. We, we pray that you would take our burdens and, and that you would help us. Lord, some of us have, have uh, maybe made our lives so complicated by our bad decisions. We, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to find rest. Maybe our sin has become a master over us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us rest from that struggle. Free us from that bondage as you freed that man with a withered hand. Freed him from his incompleteness, his, his shortcomings, Lord. We pray that you would cleanse us and renew us and draw us into a deep fellowship with you. And may we know that joy, that peace, that security, and that rest that can only come from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.